If I can just give a plug before we get started here for uh, maybe some of our, our more charismatic worshipers. I just closed my rings worshiping Jesus in the back. So I'm just telling you, you guys move a little bit when you worship. There's, there's, there's some freedom in that in Christ, and you might close your rings. So there you go. I'm just going to throw that out there for whatever that's worth, which is not much, but it's free. You know, this week I, I went into Target to make a purchase, and going in, I decided I was going to use their price match policy. Some of you guys are just now realizing Target has a price match policy, and you're going, how much money have I left on the table? Because that's just it, right? I went in, and I brought my phone in with me, and I said, hey, I want to buy this, but look, your competitor here has it priced about 50 bucks less than what you guys have it priced at. And typically when I go in, and I've done that in the past, and Best Buy will do that as well, and, and other stores will do that, but when I've gone into Target in the past, it's like the, the FBI comes out first and they want to do a full-blown examination on what I'm trying to price match. And so they'll grab my phone and they'll look up the SKU numbers and talk about things that I don't understand. And they'll scan it and they'll call a manager over and they'll call the boss and they'll call Mr. Target and be like, can we do this? And he'll say yes. And then they'll do it for me. Uh, but this time I walked in and I got some older guy and he just went with it. I, I, and it was legitimate. Like I had the, the price match there, but I showed it to him. And he was like, okay, uh, yeah, I, I can do that for you. And he glanced once at my phone, and that was it, and punched it in the system, and then I left with the thing that I went to go purchase. But I left kind of going, man, I wonder if I could have found like a refurbished one or a broken one and, and gotten it even cheaper. I wonder if I left money on the table. Now, that would have been dishonest, so I wouldn't have done that. But the, the point is sometimes we, we are leaving something good on the table because we don't realize what's available to us, Right? Y'all, some of us are doing that with God's word. And I'm not even talking about those that aren't reading it. Yeah, if you're not reading God's word consistently, you're leaving a ton on the table. I'm, I'm saying, look, even if you are reading the word, you may be leaving some meat on the table that God can use to bless you, that God can use to grow you, that God can use to strengthen you. And that's what Solomon is going to address in Proverbs chapter 4 in a roundabout way, as remember, Solomon is writing as a dad to his sons. And so in Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon steps into kind of full-blown dad mode because he's going to start by talking about, when I was your age, this is what I heard growing up. But all in all, the, the message is going to be the same as he's been delivering. And that's what we want to key in on this evening as we study the word of God is what we have here is a book that is timeless, boundless, a book that needs no upgrade, no update, no change, no transformation. It is sufficient in and of itself. Its truths are sufficient in and of themselves. They were for Solomon. They were for Solomon's dad, David. They were for Solomon's sons, and they are for us today as well. So grab your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 4. And Solomon begins again, like I said, full-blown dad mode. He says, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive. Hear and listen, right? How many times have your parents or somebody that you know that loves you and is in a place of authority told you, Are you listen, pay attention to what I'm telling you, right? And so Solomon's doing that again with his, his sons here. Hear what I'm telling you. Be attentive. Pay close attention in order that you might gain insight so that you might not be a fool when you grow up. For I give you, he says in verse 2, good precepts. The, the advice that I give you, Solomon's saying, is good. Listen to it. And some of y'all are, are in situations where you are now finally, as you're on your own and realizing, man, 
what mom and dad were telling me when I was littler than I just blew off, it, it's valuable because now I'm having to actually do some of this on my own. And there's some worth to that. And maybe I should have paid closer attention. Well, Solomon's trying to avoid that with them. What I tell you is good. It's good precepts. Do not forsake. Do not abandon my teaching. I give you, he says, good advice. And then he goes back and talks about the fact that this isn't new advice that he's giving him. Look at verse 3. When I was a son with my father, who was Solomon's dad? Rhymes with Shmavid, starts with a D. David, yes, David the king. King David was Solomon's dad. And so he's talking about David right now. He said, when I was a son with my father, with David, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, when I was being raised by my mom and pop, this is what they taught me, verse 4. He taught me, David did, and said to me, Solomon, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her that is wisdom, and she will keep you. Love her that is wisdom, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get it. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Make it a priority in your life. Prize her highly, value her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her, if you embrace wisdom. And she will place on your head a graceful garland, and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So this is David talking to Solomon, telling Solomon, look, I want good things for you, son. Some of you come from different types of homes and backgrounds, and and some parents who may not have expressed that sentiment to you. But even in that situation, you can conceive of a situation where a a parent ideally wants good things for their children, right? And that's true of of David and Solomon. It's true of Solomon and his sons. But, you know, on on a much grander scale, it's true of our Heavenly Father and us. And so really, the words that Solomon is repeating from David are words that God is delivering to us, saying, hey, I I want you to, to understand that the truths contained in the Word of God are good things. They will do good things for you and in your life if you will give yourself over to them, study them, treasure them up, follow them, obey them, learn them, love them. See, this was a message that was true for David, for Solomon, for Solomon's sons, and through the generations after that, and it's still true for us sitting here tonight. And the reason is, is because of our first point tonight, and that is that the Bible and Scripture and its truths that it contains is timeless. And so we need to embrace that. The, the truth of scripture. To point one, embrace the timeless sufficiency of scripture. That it's not going to go out of date, contrary to what our culture is wanting to tell us. It's not going to go out of style. It's not going to need to be updated or adapted to our context. The truth of scripture is the truth of God. God is unchangeable. It's a word that we use to talk about him that's his immutability. He's immutable, which means he does not change. To mutate is to transform or to change. God does not change. The truth of God, therefore, does not change. And the Bible is the word of God contained in these 66 books. And so, therefore, the truth that it contains doesn't need an update. And so as David's writing to Solomon and Solomon's writing to his sons, and that's spanning 20, 30, 40 years or or more, it holds true. Well, guess what? Now, as you and I sit here, much later than that, thousands of years after that, it still holds true for us as well because the scriptural truth contained in the Bible is timeless. It's not bound by circumstances. There are things that are 
maybe not timeless on the same level, but when I was a teenager, my dad taught me how to change a tire. Well, guess what? You change a tire the same way today that you did when I was growing up as a teenager. So I'm able to teach my son how to change a tire if he needs to learn how to change a tire. Or putting gas in the car. At least right now, that is the same way that it's been done for a lot of of years, right? Dozens of years. However long the car's been around, I don't know, 1930s? But the, the hose goes in the tank, and you squeeze the handle, and it fills up your car with gas. That's, that's not something that needs to be updated. No one's like, there's got to be a better way to pump gas. It, isn't there another way? Come on. We're putting people on the moon, if it's still the 1960s. Can't we figure out a better way to, to pump gas than, than just a hose with a nozzle? That seems rudimentary. Or tying a tie, men. There's a lot of different YouTube videos you can watch on how to tie a tie, but they're pretty much all just going over the basic ways that ties have been tied for eons. And so it's, it's a timeless reality. So we understand the concept, but now you take that to an infinitely unchangeable God, and that means that his word will never change. There may come a day that it looks radically different to change a tire on a car than it does right now, right? There may come a day when you put gas in a car in a totally different way, or maybe there's no more gas anymore if everybody else gets their way that wants that, that stuff. Or maybe there's going to come a day where somebody's like, you know what, you should tie the tie and wear it backwards because that's, that's what's in, and then that'll all be different. It's never going to come a day where you're going to wake up and say, wait a minute, things have changed when it comes to God and his word. It's timeless. And so Solomon addresses from his own experience with his dad things that were going to be true for his sons and things that are going to be true for us as well. In verse 4, he wants us to obey the word of God. Let your heart, that's what he means when he says, hold fast my words and keep, obey my commandments and live. So he's saying, I, you need to obey the word of God. And then what's going to happen? You're going to live. There's going to be long life there contained in that. Then he says in verse 5, obtain wisdom whatever the cost. He says, get wisdom, get insight. That word get is obtain it, purchase it. Go out and whatever it costs you to get more wisdom in your life, more biblical wisdom, godly wisdom in your life, do whatever it takes to get more of that is what Solomon is saying here. What he heard from his dad and what he passes on now to his son. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told a parable about the kingdom of heaven that is containing a similar thought. He said, In 1345, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it, right? That, y'all, is the wisdom of God. That is the word of God and all of the truths that it contains in here. It is the, the greatest source of instruction, knowledge, wisdom that we can find this side of eternity. And so whatever you can do to get more of God's wisdom in your life, Solomon, David to Solomon, Solomon to his sons, God to us is saying, get it. Whatever it costs you, it costs you more time in the morning, spend it. It costs you staying up a little bit later, stay up later. It costs you giving up a a TV show that you'd like to watch or a YouTube video that you'd like to watch or going out and hanging out with some friends because you haven't spent time in the word that day. Give those things up and get in the word. Solomon's saying, get wisdom, obtain it, whatever the cost. And then in the second half of verse five, he says, internalize it. Don't forget it. Don't turn away from the words in my mouth. Make sure that they become like second nature to you so that it's treasured up within you. So important for us, y'all. As we're thinking about living out the wisdom of God, David says later on in in the Psalms, he says, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? He also says, I've treasured up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
And so it's internalizing the word. And, and then in verse six, flowing out of that, take shelter in the word. Don't forsake her. Don't leave the word behind. Don't leave wisdom behind. And if you, if you hold fast to her, she's going to keep you. She's going to protect you. These are common themes that we've heard the, the past few weeks uh, as well. Love her and she will guard you. She's going to protect you. So take shelter in the word, he's telling his son. Obtain, again, wisdom, whatever the cost. He repeats this in verse 7. He says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. Again, whatever the cost, get more Bible in your life. Get more of God's wisdom in your life. Verse 8, value the word. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. So value the word of God and treat it as such, right? We sang that song, that at least the, the chorus, coming back to the heart of worship, where it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it, when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Some, yo, we've made our Christian walk about a lot of things that don't have anything to do with, with Jesus. And, and we are looking for security blankets in Christianity that, that really we don't deserve because we're neglecting the common graces, the, the basic disciplines of what it means to be a believer and, and foundational to those things is spending time in the word of God. Value the word, hold fast the word, love the word, and then enjoy her rewards. Verse nine, she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. You may not want a garland and a crown on your head. I get that, that's fine, but the point was there is there's reward there's 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 accomplishment there's there's enjoyment in the fruit of our time in the scriptures and solomon wanted his sons to understand this and you know what this is not new with solomon saying hey this is what my my pops david told me you know where david's getting all this well how about we go back to deuteronomy chapter six pretty significant passage right in the old testament it's called the shema the hero israel the lord your god the lord is one you guys know that passage right in that same context, God, through Moses, tells the Israelites, look, you need to be teaching your kids these things. I want you talking about them at home. And I want you walking around talking about them. And I want you writing them on the doorposts of your house. I want you talking about them when you lie down, when you get up in the morning. I want you commending these truths to the next generation. In fact, David himself says that as well in Psalm 145. He says, one generation will commend your truths to another and so David did that with Solomon. Solomon's doing that with his sons. But y'all, as the Father, Heavenly Father, God is doing that with us. And the reason that works is because his truth is timeless. It doesn't need an update. These things that he's telling his sons here, y'all, we need to do the same thing. We need to, whatever it costs, obtain the word of God, the wisdom of God. We need to obey the word. We need to internalize the word. We need to value the word, take shelter in the word, and, and we will enjoy the benefits of the word. Some of y'all who struggle with your consistency in the word, you struggle because you don't really believe this first point. You don't, you may say you do. You may give intellectual assent to the doctrine of the inerrancy and sufficiency of scripture that you would say, yes, I believe that scripture is sufficient, that it's inerrant, that it's breathed out by God. But functionally, practically, you deny it all day long. Because if you really believe that, you wouldn't go a day without it. You'd be like, man, I, I, I need this. I need its wisdom. I need its truth. I need it to be transforming. I need to get it in me. 
And some of y'all are sitting out there going, yeah, maybe it worked for some people in the past, but, but now? I mean, come on, this is a book that's over 2,000 years old, and, and really, can we still believe it? Can we still follow it? And the answer is yes, because its author is timeless. If I write a book, it's gonna, not going to be of any value 2,000 years from now, or like two weeks from now, but it's not going to be of any value 2,000 years from now, because I'm not God. I'm not timeless. I don't know the beginning from the end. The God who inspired the words of Scripture knows the beginning of the end. That's what he says. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the first. I am the last. And so we can trust the Word of God, and the Word of God is timeless, and the Word of God bears that out as well. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 talks about its sufficiency. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. His, God's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He's granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, those are the most important things in the world. That, that, that's what it boils down to to us as, as Christians. Life, everything in my life, and, and, and godliness. And Peter says we have all that we need in the knowledge of him who's granted those things to us and what reveals that knowledge to us but this book right here. So the scriptures are sufficient for us to meet our needs that we have. How about Hebrews 13, 8? We sang about Jesus a minute ago. Jesus Christ, here it is, is the same yesterday, to today, and what, what, what's next? Tomorrow. So the, the word of the word, the logos, John 1, of the word is timeless, immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So guess what, y'all? His word is timeless. And let's just get plain with it. 1 Peter 1.25. In fact, if you were with us in church this week, you heard this quoted out of Isaiah chapter 40, which is where Peter grabs it from. But he says, hey, you know what? The grass withers and the flower fades. But he says in, in 1 Peter 1.25, the word of God endures forever. The word of God endures forever. We don't need a 2.0. We don't need an update to it. It is entirely sufficient. Martin Luther said this, God's word cannot be without God's people. And conversely, God's people cannot be without God's word. God's people cannot be without God's word. And, and, and we have Christians filling up churches that are trying to be God's people without God's word. Or with just, hey, can I get some of God's word on Sundays? And maybe in a midweek, but man, really, you want me to have God's word every day? Yes, because we need it. We depend upon it. It is everything necessary for life and godliness. We have to be in God's word. The alternative isn't pretty, right? First Corinthians chapter one, Paul says that the alternative to the wisdom of God is the foolishness of the world. And he contrasts those two things. And if you read 1 Corinthians 1, 20, in fact, let's do that. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Paul says, where's the one who's wise? According to the world's standards. Where's the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. 
but to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. A little shot from Paul there. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Ouch, ouch, and again, ouch, Paul. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Y'all, it's, it's, it's the word and, and whatever it is that's competing for the attention of the word in your life. YouTube or social media, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is. If it's not the word, we're going to take it and throw it in the wastebasket of the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness. Because it's not going to do anything to help you in the long run. It's not timeless. But the word of God is timeless. Paul in Colossians 2, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who's the head of all rule and authority. And this is his word. Why do we not want to be in it? It's timeless. It's efficient. It's sufficient for all of our needs. And so Solomon says, this is what my dad taught me. And so now I'm teaching it to you. And we sit here and our heavenly father says, this is what I'm teaching to you. Well, he goes on to now contrast two paths to his son. Again, this is Solomon full on dad mode. He's like, listen up, pay attention. It's what my dad told me and now I'm telling you. Now he's going to say, look, in life, you're going to encounter two paths. Pick up in verse 10. It says, hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you, here's the first path, first path, the way of wisdom. And I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk in that path, in the path of wisdom, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction and do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Notice the desperation there. Hold on to it and don't let go, whatever it costs. Guard her, for she is your life. That's path number one. And then he contrasts it with path number two. Look at verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. There's the second path. And do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away and pass on. For they, the wicked, they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. And the way of the wicked is like the deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So here we go. Solomon's contrasting these two ways, and he's exhorting his sons to always keep choosing the path of wisdom. I put it this way for point number two. Keep choosing godliness over sin. Keep choosing godliness over sin. Again, that first path, hear my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many, right? 
It's good to do this because it's gonna, it's gonna protect you. There's blessings, there's rewards in this. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the path of uprightness. The, the, the fatherly heart here to his child saying, I've, I've taught you these things from the time that you were little. I've led you in the ways of righteousness. When you walk, if you're in this path, the path of wisdom, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Again, this is a father who wants the best for his child. And y'all, this is God, our father, who wants the best for us, his children. And he's saying, look, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Hold fast to it. I had to go to the DMV the other day to get my real ID because that's going to be useful for me for about 11 months and then I'm going to move to Texas and I have to get a different real ID. But I had to do it in order not to get pulled over by Danny and go to jail. So I did. And I was standing in the DMV and I had my wallet sitting in my back pocket and I was thinking, man, there's a lot of people in here who look a little bit skeevy. I'm not going to lie. And people are probably looking at me going, dude, that that guy looks skeevy. I'm not going to lie. So I was standing there, and all of a sudden, I, I just kind of grabbed my wallet, and I moved it to my front pocket, because I, I was like, I, I want to hold fast to this and keep it a little closer to me and make sure that it doesn't go wandering off with someone else. I mean, they wouldn't be able to drive a car because my license was expired, but I have other things in my wallet that I, I wanted to hold on to because I valued it. How much more? Guys, Solomon's saying, keep hold of instruction. Know where it is at all times. Value it that way. Don't let it go. Guard it. Guard it, for she is your life. Uh, Verse 11, I've taught you the way of wisdom. Here's what that means, y'all. There's no claims of ignorance. In fact, by the fact that you are here, you've been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and you cannot claim ignorance on the day of judgment. Not that that's going to get anyone off the hook, but I'm just telling you, you, that's been pulled out from under you at this point. And that's what Solomon is telling his son. I've taught you that. You know it. You know the way of wisdom. And there's life there. There's uprightness. There's integrity there. There's smooth paths in life there. Your life will go well if you give yourself over to the way of wisdom. There's security and there's safety there, right? And, and, and we get that, and that's good, right? And we can sit there and nod along with that. But then when we leave church and we, we go home, and, and then Monday hits and Tuesday hits, and we encounter temptation, and you don't have a preacher standing in your life saying, hey, don't do that. Remember, you need to be doing what's right. Then it gets harder. You, you still agree with the way of wisdom and want the way of wisdom, but it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and now the, the way of, of evil that has the lure that looks so pleasing at first is, is looking better and better. And so Solomon contrasts for us the way of wisdom with the way of wickedness to help us in that battle. Verse 14, don't enter the path of the wicked. I've just told you about the path of the righteous. This is what's good. Don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they, the wicked, the evil, cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they've made someone to stumble. They're going to come after you. And they're going to try to make you stumble. Stay away from them. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. I remember the first time I went skiing, uh, I figured it out kind of on the bunny slope or whatever. And then because my parents were somewhat irresponsible, they were like, yeah, go up on the rest of the ski slopes with your friends and just don't die. So I did. I mean, I survived. I'm here. So that was, was helpful. But one of my friends on my first, we, we kind of went up and I think we were going to go down a blue or something. And I was like, okay. Um, 
And he said, make sure you don't go down the black diamond path because it's right next to the blue path. It's like, well, whose idea was that? It's a horrible place to put the blacks right next to the blues because it's going to have life-altering impacts. And thankfully, I, I, I saw where the black was, and I stayed as far away from it as I possibly could um, because I knew I don't want to go anywhere near that. Do not enter it. Avoid it, right? That's the concept here. In fact, look at how many different ways he says this. Do not enter. Do not walk. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Message received? Yeah. Peter says something similar to what Solomon says here when he says, hey, you know what? The, the wicked, the evil that are on that path, they can't sleep unless they've made someone fall. Well, we have another enemy that can't sleep unless he's made someone fall. Peter talks about him in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, and, and so what, what Solomon is doing is he's, he's pointing out the wicked. I'm not going to point at anyone. I'm going to point over here. He's pointing out the wicked, and he's saying to Solomon, to his sons, don't go over here. Look, this is evil, and they've got bad intent. Meanwhile, they're trying to, to, to show that they're attractive and appealing. And Solomon's going, don't go over here. I was watching a baseball game the other day, and the, the runner came around second base and slid into third base, and there was a close play at the, at the base, and the third baseman got the, the ball in his glove and, uh, and went to go throw it back to the pitcher. But what I saw that I'd never seen before was the third base coach, this is professional baseball, like almost ran out on the field and was like, this, pointing at the third baseman who had the ball so that his runner um, that had just slid in knew that, hey, there's danger over here. This guy's got the ball. If I was the third baseman, I'd be super annoyed. I'd be like, dude, will you stop? I'm trying to get him out. But that's the third base coach's job is to make sure that his base runner stays safe, right? That's Solomon's job here with his kids. He's like, this is evil. Don't go over here. Meanwhile, evil's like, will you chill? I'm trying to get them over here. You know, the word points out God's plan for us and points out and shows us where evil and wickedness is. It says, don't go over there. Don't go over there. Whatever you do, do not go over there. Think back for a second to Genesis chapter 3. What happened there? Was it good or was it bad? Well, it depends, right? Because we have the proto-euangelion. The first gospel is given in Genesis 3.16 where we've got the promise that, that the offspring of Eve is going to crush the head of the serpent. But generally, we think Genesis 3, we think this is not good. Because in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5, you've got the serpent, Satan, in the, the serpent's body coming along and talking with Eve, which was apparently a normal thing during that time, and saying, hey, did God really say? And Eve begins to listen to the serpent, right? And then the serpent says, well, you're not going to die because God knows in the day that you eat of that, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like him, knowing good from evil. God's just a an egomaniac, and he doesn't want you to be like him. You're not going to die. He's just trying to, to, to be a cosmic killjoy because he doesn't want to share his power with you. Well, then Eve looks at the tree, and she goes, oh, you know what? It does look pretty good. It says, when she saw that it was a delight to the eyes and it was desirable, she took some, and it says in Genesis 3, 6, she ate, she gave some to Adam who was with her. Follow mankind. Let me ask you, when Eve took that fruit, do you think she was fully aware of the consequences of what her actions would be? Do you think if Eve had known the shame and guilt that would follow, the discipline that they would endure from God, the separation from God that they would have to suffer, the, the turmoil of having one of her children murder another, 
Not to mention the thousands of years of sin-soaked, sin-saturated humanity and all of the disasters that have followed her seeing the fruit, seeing that it looked good, that it was desirable, taking and eating. Do you think if she knew all of the consequences, she would have reached out and still taken the fruit? I don't. I don't think she would have. And that's what Solomon's trying to help his son out with here. He's saying, here's the path of wisdom, and it's really, really good. Just like God took Adam and Eve and said, here's the whole garden. You can have all of it. You can have all of it. Just don't eat from this one tree. But here's the whole garden. It's really, really, really good. And Solomon says, this is the path of wisdom. It's really, really, really good. And here's the path of evil, and it's really, really, really bad. Don't go there. He's holding it up to get his son to understand the importance of always choosing wisdom. Verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of day. It grows brighter and brighter until full day. That's where you want to be. Because the contrast is the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Pitch black, middle of night, new moon. There's no light on. You can't see where you're going at all. And they do not know over what they stumble. Y'all, every single day you have an opportunity to choose godliness over sin. Yes, in areas of temptation, right? Temptation comes along. You have a decision to make. Are you going to choose godliness or are you going to choose evil? Big decisions in your life. Motivations that go into making those decisions. Are they godly motivations or are they sinful motivations? Small decisions, little decisions in your life. Are they motivated, driven by godliness, a desire to glorify the Lord, or are they driven by the foolishness of the world? Your conversations, the words that you speak, are they words that match up with the path of wisdom or are they words that match up with the, the folly of the world? Your thought life, the things that you entertain between your ears, are those thoughts in keeping with the way of wisdom or are they in keeping with the wickedness of this world? See, you have that choice every single day and what I'm encouraging you and urging you is, is the more you spend time in the word, the clearer the contrast will be between the way of wisdom and the darkness of the path of folly. But y'all, if you neglect the word of God, you will have such a difficult time remembering why it is that the way of wisdom is better than the way of the world. In the final section then, he turns to their spiritual well-being and compares it to our, our physical bodies. And he uses a, an extended metaphor to talk about how we need to, to take care of ourselves spiritually the same way we might take care of ourselves physically. Our final point tonight is this. Give daily attention to your spiritual health. Give daily attention to your spiritual health. Pick up in verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. This is kind of summary of where he's been Hold fast, be attentive, listen, incline. Remember that word that means to bend. Bend your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Then he goes on. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And now he's going to use that analogy of flesh to, to kind of draw out the importance of our need for our spiritual well-being. Verse 23, you probably know this verse. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from your crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. 
Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Give daily attention to your spiritual health and well-being. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance. Your heart, right? It's the, the most important vital organ that you have. I understand there's others that you can't live with, but typically we understand that, that the heart is, is the heart of us, right? It's, it's the central, most important organ that we have. So he's saying, guard it. Guard your heart, but not your physical heart. It says, for from it, from it flow the springs of life. The heart in scripture had uh, different connotations. The, these are all the different things that the Bible talks about the heart doing, okay? The heart in Jeremiah 12, verse 11, thinks. It entertains thoughts. They have made it a desolation. Desolate, it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man, he says, lays it to heart. No man considers it. No man dwells upon this, thinks on it. Where? In his heart. So Jeremiah 12, 11, the heart thinks. Uh, John 12, 40. John 12, 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart. The heart also understands things. It comprehends things. John 12, 40. The heart understands. Uh, Mark 2, 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. The heart will question and debate things. Luke 2.19, after the angel appears to Mary, Mary treasured up all these things, after the shepherds appeared, brother, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The heart ponders things, turns it over. Ecclesiastes 1.17, the heart studies. I applied my heart to know wisdom and know madness and folly. The heart studies things. Ecclesiastes 9.3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all, and also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Uh, the heart plots evil there, Ecclesiastes 9.3. John 16.22, Jesus says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. The heart can rejoice as well. Nehemiah 2, verse 2. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? There's nothing but sadness of heart. The heart can mourn. The heart can be sad. And similar to that, in Romans chapter 9, verse 2, Paul says that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. It's a, a grief that he has there that the heart can experience. And, and so the heart is, is the seat of all of that. He says that our author Solomon describes it as the, 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 the seed of the springs of life. From the heart flow the springs of life. And so he's saying, watch it, guard it, take care of it with all vigilance. In other words, it's really redundant in the original. It says, guard it with all guarding, okay? With every ounce of ability that you have to protect something, protect it with that. Protect what? Your heart. The, the center of all of these things, the center of your spiritual life. If you're going to protect everything, protect that. How do I do that? Uh, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Starting in verse 17. All right, let's back up to verse 15. Peter asked Jesus to explain a parable to them. The disciples, rather. And he said, are, are you still without understanding? And here's the text that I want to drive home. Verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, like Borden brew, passes into the stomach and is expelled? You guys can figure out what he's talking about there. 
But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So he says the problem of, of sin, of corrupting things, sexual immorality, and, and theft, and murder, all of these actions, he says the, the problem with all of those is, is the, the heart. This is why Jesus can say in, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know what, you've heard it said anyone who commits adultery is guilty. I, I, I'm going to tell you anyone who lusts after somebody else is guilty. You've heard it said, do not commit murder, right? Well, I'm going to tell you, hey, someone who hates his brother is guilty of the same. Well, why? You can lust in, in your heart without the physical act of adultery. You can hate someone internally without murdering them. The reason it's a problem is it's because it's a heart issue, okay? So that's why we have to guard it. For flow, from it flow the springs of life. Well, how do I guard my heart? Jesus was asked a question in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, by an expert in the law who came up to him and said, hey, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said what? You shall, come on, you shall, you shall what? You shall love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And, and, and look, I know the objections that are out there. Well, Pastor PJ, no one can do that perfectly. I get that, but some of y'all aren't even trying. Some of y'all are hiding behind the fact that you're not perfect. I get you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody in the room is perfect. But guess what? Your direction every single day should be towards perfection. Well, that sounds really legalistic. No, it's about loving Jesus with everything that you got. And if you're not doing that, why are you here? Why? Like, what game are you playing? What do you expect to, 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 to win? If this is all just a front and a facade and you die and you stand before the Lord and he says, depart from me, I never knew you, what do you gain from being here tonight other than free dinner? Like, you want to guard your heart? Love Jesus with everything. And start asking, what does that look like in my life? Well, the first thing is, is it means going, where am I not loving him? Where do I have unconfessed, unrepented sin in my life? I need to get that out of my life. I need to, to do what Jesus told them in the Sermon on the Mount. I need to cut my hand off and throw it from me, gouge my eye out and throw it from me. I, I, where, how can I, I love him more? What is that going to look like? Well, what am I wasting my time doing? Something that's not even a sin necessarily, but as the writer of Hebrews says, something that's just causing me to stumble. Whether it's social media or YouTube or, or binge watching the latest season of Stranger Things on Netflix, some of y'all are doing that and you're going, I can't read, I don't have time for the Bible. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Love him, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. Love Jesus with everything that you got. Exhaust yourself, wear yourself out loving Jesus. Verse 24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. He's moved from the heart to the mouth. And remember what Jesus said, the mouth speaks from the heart. So the heart is the, the foundational issue here. But then he moves on to the, the mouth and he says, look, put away crooked speech and devious talk far from you. Some of y'all talk one way in here and you talk a totally different way out of here. 
Some of you talk one way in here and you talk a different way on the lightning cord. Jesus spoke about the mouth. I already read the passage in Matthew chapter 15. It talks about what defiles him. 2237, to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Scripture says we're going to be held accountable for every single careless word that we speak. And are you loving him with your words? Are you loving him with your speech? Verse 25, let your eyes let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. The eyes, right? Matthew 6, through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But man, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how dark is the darkness? How great is the darkness? The eye is the lamp of the body. Watch what you are watching, what you are taking in. Psalm 101, 3. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Some of y'all need to make that resolution. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Or Psalm 119, 37. This is Solomon's pops, by the way, telling him this. This is David. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. This is a, a, a prayer to God. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. And give me life in your ways. Or Job 31, we read it recently in the DBR. If you're tracking with us, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin in lust? What would be my portion from God and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? We have to watch our eyes and what we are taking in. And then finally, our steps, our path, verse 26 and 27, ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The path is your pattern of behavior. It's your way of life. It's your general conduct. He says, ponder it, consider it. Matthew 7, 14, the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Are your feet on the narrow path? Are your feet on the narrow path? Y'all, if this sounds exhausting, I think you get it. But what did Peter say? We're, we're aliens and strangers in this world. And not like you're an alien and stranger when you go down to like, the, the Mexican Riviera and you hang out at a resort down there and you're an alien and stranger down there and you have people going, how can I serve you? No, you're an alien and a stranger in a hostile world. You are behind enemy lines. And so Christianity is going to be hard. You're going to have to battle your flesh daily. But it's so, so, so worth it because this world is so, so, so temporary. I was talking to a guy who I saw at church today for the first time in a long time. I said, man, where you been? He said, well, I, I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm busy. I've got to work. I said, that's true. You, you do have to work, but you need to value and prioritize church. You need to be here because you know what? You're going to die and your work and your friends and your job and your family, all that's going to be gone. You're going to stand one day just you before Jesus and you're going to have to answer to him. What did you do with the gospel? What did you do with me? It's worth it because one day all of us are going to die. And what we've invested in here is going to be exposed. Y'all, this is one of the reasons for Mission 66. 
I don't know if you were doing the DVR this morning. I hope you were. But did you catch it in Psalm chapter 1? Blessed is the one that starts that way. But then did you catch verse 2? Whose delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Y'all, are you delighting in the word? David says, if you are, happy is the one. Fortunate is the one who's delighting in the word of God. Then he goes on to that, not only that, but he says, and he meditates on his law day and night. Day and night. David's doing two days with the word of God. Look, I I understand and I've heard through the grapevine that some of y'all aren't excited about Mission 66. You don't want to do it. Some of you have just decided not to do it. I just want to establish a couple of things here. Number one, you're not doing this for me or for your leaders or for your peers. This exhortation, this whole series about Proverbs and being in the word of God more and enjoying his benefits, it's not, it's not going to make me, I mean, I want you to do it. It's going to bring joy to my heart for you to do it. That's not why I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to do it because I believe it's for your good, your greatest good, your benefit to do these things. But I've heard that some of you are grumbling against your leaders and even discouraging the accountability side of things. So to that, I want to say two things. First, your leaders did not issue this challenge. I did. So if you want to grumble and complain, come make an appointment with me. Kelly's here. You can set up something this week with her. Or you know what? I'm happy to talk to you after the service. You want to come tell me why you don't want to be in God's word daily? You want to come tell me I'm being legalistic? Let's have a conversation. But don't don't take pot shots at your leaders. Okay? They love you. That's why they're doing what they're doing. So you can come talk to me about it if you've got legitimate beef with this. But secondly, some of you are discouraging it publicly with your fellow group members, and I want to just warn you, and I use that word intentionally and weightily, I want to warn you that if you are discouraging your peers from spending consistent time in the word of God, that is a dangerous position to be in. That is a dangerous position to be in. Because you will have to give an account for that someday. You will have to answer to the Lord of all creation as to why you discouraged your friends from a challenge that was just about developing a consistent routine and habit of being in the word every single day. You want to own that? Go for it. But if I continue to hear that it's going on, you'll be having a meeting with me that's not a a voluntary meeting. That said, I've heard great things from a lot of you this week that you've loved being in the Word and that you've been encouraging each other and that there's been great fruit from that. And that is awesome. And I'm super excited about that. And let me just challenge you to keep on going. If you're, this is your first time here, you're going, what is Mission 66 and why is he so persnickety about it? Well, <clears throat> for you guys now, it's Mission 59. Um, no, it's, it's a challenge to be in God's Word every single day for the next 66 days because it takes 66 days to make something routine. So that's, that's what we're talking about here. That's the challenge here. But that's the foundation to giving daily attention to your spiritual health, guys, is being in God's word every single day. This is how you guard it. This is how you guard your heart. This is how you feed your heart. This is how you increase your love for Jesus is spending more time in his word. And like I said at the beginning, 
You know, some of y'all are leaving, you're, you're leaving things on the table that's way more costly to you than not knowing that Target would price match something for you. You guys have the all-sufficient, timeless, inspired word of God that can guard you and guide your paths and you're not doing anything with it. And I, I just am increasingly puzzled by that. But the good news is, today's still here. God's been merciful and gracious to give us today, and there's still time. And so if last week you didn't jump on board, jump on board this week. Get after it, right? Because it's super, super important and super valuable. Nathan, I know there's not a song that fits with um, confrontation and angry preaching, but it might be good for us to close with whatever you got, man. Just pull something out that's good, right? Maybe, yes, Lord. I'm trading my side. No. All right. Let me pray on that note, and Nathan's going to come up, and we'll worship the Lord, and then we'll break into small groups. God, we are so thankful for this time. I'm thankful for these students. I love it, and I, I mean it, each and every one of them, even the ones that I, I don't really know, that I haven't met. I love them because I want them to know you. I want them to trust you. I want them to follow you. I want them to love you with a greater love than they even knew was possible. I want them to be in the word and to experience the word and to experience all the blessings and the joys that come along with a vibrant relationship with you through the word. So God, I, I pray that you would create that hunger within each and every one here. And I understand that in a room like this, there are unbelievers here. I pray that you would save them first because that is imperative. Without salvation, no amount of time reading the Bible is going to do us any good. And so God, do your work. Save people. Even tonight, save people, God, by your grace. Open their eyes to their need for Christ. And make the Bible attractive and beautiful to us and cause us to hunger for it and to yearn for it and to want it and to want to devour it and to get as much of it as we possibly can to answer the call that Solomon gave, that David gave, that you have ultimately given, that is to, to the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, get insight, whatever the cost, get more of your word. And we want to do that, Lord. And we want to be faithful and obedient to you in that pursuit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together as we close out our time singing to the Lord. Deeper within, through the way things appear, 
King of Endless Word. King of Endless Word. No one could express how much you deserve. Lord, we can mourn. All I have is yours. Every single The tempter came to try to set the Lord against his soul To strip away all that he'd ever owned But all he wanted was you Yeah, just you Just you
trying to tell him all the news that everything has been lost there's nothing left to lose knees to the ground he rips his shirt and starts to shave his head looks to the sky and then somehow he says all i need is you Come one by one, he's covered head to toe. Among the ashes, still somehow he knows all I need is you. Curse God and die, so she says, but does she really know that shall we take good from God and not evil? Not evil from you. travel for days to give him counsel now but they don't know what they say they only tear him down he starts to question their ways it seems they've led him wrong but then he starts to complain that's when we hear the sound a voice that comes from the wind is here to question you and since you tried to contend i hope you hear the truth all the wind stars and skies the raging seas the waters rise you can't deny i'm the one that all this has come through because i'll always be and i've always been wherever you've gone i've been with you then humble your heart fall on your knees trust in my ways when still you can't see when i can't see i trust you Joe, he falls into the ground, covers his hand to his mouth so words won't utter out. My God, your wonderful ways no man can understand. So now I'll give you my days, cause all I need is you. Summer, but now I'm missing 